Uh, I'm Ian. I, <clears throat> I was raised on the East Coast, believe it or not, born in Perth, all the way up to Wick as well. But then we went to a place called London, and the boys couldn't understand a word we said. So that's why I speak like I speak. <clears throat> we're, we're at the beginning of Advent, and this is the pivot of history. Imagine a plank here with a pivot standing in, in the middle of it, and that's where we start Advent. It's the Old Testament is passing, the New Covenant is coming, but nobody has any idea what that means. And the Word of God comes by an angel to an ordinary man, just like one of you or me, called Zacharias. And he's just doing his job. So let's read Luke chapter 1. We'll go 5 to 15. <coughs> I'm going to read it myself to slow my heart rate down. My story begins with a Jewish priest, Zacharias. He lived when Herod was king of Judea. Zacharias was a member of the Abijah division of the Temple Service Corps. His wife, Elizabeth, was, like himself, a member of the priest tribe of the Jews, a descendant of Aaron. Zacharias and Elizabeth were godly folk, careful to obey all of God's laws in spirit as well as in the letter. But they had no children, for Elizabeth was barren, and now they were both getting on. One day, as Zacharias was going about his work in the temple, for his division was on duty that week, the honor fell to him by lot to enter the inner sanctuary and burn incense before the Lord. Meanwhile, a great crowd stood outside in the temple court, praying as they always did during that part of the service when the incense was being burned. Zacharias was in the sanctuary when suddenly an angel appeared, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was startled, troubled, and afraid. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zacharias, for I've come to tell you that God has answered your prayer, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to name him John. You will both have great joy and gladness at his birth, and many will rejoice with you, for he will be one of the Lord's great men. He will never touch wine or hard liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will persuade many a Jew to turn to the Lord his God. He will be a man of rugged spirit and power like Elijah, the prophet of old, and he will precede the coming of the Messiah, preparing the people for his arrival. He will soften adult hearts to become like little children's, he will change disobedient minds to the wisdom of faith. There's a story at the pivot of time. This is where it starts. This is where God launches his rescue package for the world. 
And Zacharias is the man that he comes to. And he's a good man. And he's a righteous man. And so is his wife. And they've always lived like that. And they've always... Um, this, the Living Bible says that they served in the spirit of the law as well as the letter of it. And I, I respect them. I, I admire them. And he's just doing his job in the temple. And as it happened, it was his turn. Well, I never. As it happened, a lot of things happen like that. And you realize it's God. And Zacharias doesn't know it's God until there's an angel there. He's, he's terrified. I'm not blaming him. His heart is troubled, says the original. He's afraid. And you know what? I couldn't get past that verse when I started thinking about this passage. Because this, this is who God is coming to. He's going, coming to people, and the best of them are like Zacharias. They're good. They want to get it right. They want to please him. But they're just little people. And the worst of them are a long way from there. But here's Zacharias. I wonder, did God have to say to the angel, the first thing you're going to have to say to him is, don't be afraid. Um, angels don't know what fear is. It's a bit like, it's a bit like the Vikings in um, Asterix and the Vikings, you know. No, sorry, pass. <laughs> I don't think an angel knows what fear is, but the Lord has to say to the angel, you have to say to him, don't be afraid. Okay, Lord. I don't know why we do, but... is terrified and actually if you go on in Luke there's seven other places where the angel or Jesus himself speaks to people and every time he prefaces it with don't be afraid I, you know, I was shocked when I noticed that um, Luke obviously picked it up because you don't find that in the other gospels but it's hit Luke between the eyes the first thing the Lord has to say to us was, don't be afraid. Um, I'll put them up. Is it a down to move on? A side. And I'm pointing it where? There you are. So there, there's, a, there's the list. Um, I put them up. Mary. Same word. Don't be afraid. The shepherds, don't be afraid. Peter, on day one, don't be afraid. Jairus, you know, the, 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 the nobleman whose daughter was dying, oh, sorry, was dead by that point. Don't be afraid. Then to the disciples, twice, don't be afraid. I know you, I know you're small, I know that you're tiny, I know that you feel like a nothing, boys, but don't be afraid. And then he's speaking prophetically, fear not, little flock, it's your father's, that's us. 
were included. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Anybody here feel big, important, capable, strong? Um, I warn you, there's news coming. Um, I'm naturally confident because I was in a loved family and maybe that's just the way I am, I don't know, but the Lord has taught me over the years that I am small and not able and that my ability runs out and hits a brick wall and that naturally I can become afraid. And if you look at the world around us right now, it's like an epidemic of people discovering that they are afraid. Uh, I've seen various headlines in the last six months or more just commenting on the mental health statistics of the UK. I think it's one in seven adults who are medically registered as not coping. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. It's not that those one in seven are the unlucky ones. They are just the tip of the iceberg and the rest of us are the invisible bit. It is the natural condition of man to realize that he cannot cope. Um, Why? It's because we were not made to do it on our own. Uh, This is, Adam discovered it. Adam discovered fear in the garden when they thought they could manage on their own, like they they seem to have done fine thus far. Um, We'd named all the animals, yeah, and we'd, uh, we we were doing well. Everything was fine. I've got a wife, beautiful girl. I can manage. Um, what else could we do? Oh yeah, let's, let's try branching out into independence. The Lord God called out to the man, where are you? Because in some senses God didn't know. He'd moved off God's radar. He'd moved out of fellowship. He'd moved out of connection. He'd gone independent. And Adam said to the Lord God, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I could see myself and I hid myself. That's That is God's way of communicating powerfully in a word picture, which personally I think actually happened. But if you want want to see it just as a word picture, that's fine. But that is how Adam discovered fear. That suddenly he is little Adam, and all he is aware is little Adam. And he covers himself up with fig leaves because he's afraid. And God doesn't know where he is. He is, obviously he does in a sense. He's God. But he has no consciousness 
of this independent, fearful, lost reality because it's outside of him. And he says, where are you, Adam? It's the human condition. And you will discover it if you haven't discovered it already. And God had to build from there, had to bring people to trust him from the outside. Believe me, we were separated. Trust him from the outside looking in. Oh Lord, if you're there, talk to me. Oh Lord, I want to please you. Noah, Lord, what do you want me to do? I haven't a clue. Help me. And it was the story of faith in the Old Testament. Um, and sometimes they did really well, and I admire all of them. And we get to hear about some of the big names, don't we, in the Old Testament all the way through. Um, and sometimes they didn't do as well. And we think, golly, phew, I'd have done worse. Um, I'll, I'll put a few up. Whoopsie. Elijah. Young Concordance calls him the grandest, most romantic prophet of the Old Testament. I know that because I looked it up when I was 15 and I had to do my first ever Bible talk at Crusaders. So I thought I'd better look at Young's Concordance. And that's what it said and I can still remember it to this day. <clears throat> And he defeated the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel, and that was my text that day. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then he runs for his life, because Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. Hey, come on, Elijah. You've just taken on the entire prophets of Baal, and now old Jezzy. For any sake, stand up. Anyway, Abraham defeats the kings. He moves into an area, the kings have attacked, and he just takes the whole lot on, him and his household servants. But then when he has to go down, to when something difficult happens, like a famine, he suddenly thinks God isn't with him anymore, so he starts telling half-truths. Um, she's my sister, actually. Well, she was, technically. But we sympathize, because we understand what fear is. Peter, if ever there was a, a, a romantic figure, there's Peter, yeah, yeah. We all love him, he's, he's out there. He wears his heart on his sleeve. He follows Jesus, Lord, I will follow you. And Jesus says, actually, hang on a minute, Peter. Sorry, you won't. And he does follow him, and he follows him to the high priest's courtyard, and then he says, I have no idea who this guy is. <sighs> Peter. And he went out and wept bitterly. And John the Baptist, he's the, he's the ultimate, isn't he? He's the last prophet of the Old Testament. Um, the Bible says he was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. I'm not quite sure what that means, but it does mean that the Holy Spirit was strongly with him. Um, We're going in, in a sec, but 
he stands against everybody. He's a man on his own. He's dressed rough. He lives in the desert. And the Pharisees come to him and he doesn't say, good morning, sirs, I'm really honored that you came. And I, have, um, I have things to say and I'm sure you know them all. He says, you're a brood of vipers. What a godly man of faith he was. But then at the end, he sends a message to Jesus from prison under Herod, Herod the second. Do you know what Herod means? Hero, hero. That was the title they took to themselves. Hero. Yeah, seriously, that's where our word comes from. Um, and Herod the second took him on because he took his brother's wife. Um, Anyhow, and John, John sends a message to Jesus from prison. He says, are you really the one who is to come? Oh, John. Oh, John. I wish you'd made it. Mm. It's the fear thing. Do you know what? I hope this is going somewhere. <laughs> um, meaning there has to be an answer, doesn't there? Or we're parked in fear. Are we not? And if you look at all the rest of the Old Testament um, <clears throat> saints, you've got a resume in, in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, which helps us. And it does a resume at the end, and it says, by faith... They conquered kingdoms. They performed acts of righteousness. They obtained promises. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness they were made strong. They became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. And then it says, a hint of the promise. All these, although they gained approval through their faith, they didn't receive the promise. Because God had provided something better for us. So that apart from us, they wouldn't be made complete. That's quite a statement. These wonderful men, all of whom, and women, all of whom we would respect and love and cherish five minutes with in heaven, there is something called the promise that was to come for us that would fill the picture. The promise. What's the promise? It, will it have a dramatic effect of changing? These men lived looking in from the outside to God. They believed in him. These women trusted him. They gave him all they had. But there was still offense between them. Jesus comes to address the separation. He has come to get God back on the inside of people. It's not possible under the old covenant. Wonderful things happen, but God wants to live on the inside again. And so Jesus starts, isn't this interesting, John chapter 14, he starts again, don't let your heart 
be troubled. He's addressing people who are on the other side of the fence. Boys, listen to me. He says, don't be afraid. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If that weren't so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Jump on to 16. I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter. That means a live-alongside person, literally. A walk-alongside person. The Spirit of Truth, so that he may be with you forever. You know him because he remains with you in the person of Jesus and in their lives. But he will be in you. From with you to in you. I believe the Holy Spirit was with John the Baptist. But John the Baptist so, so wished he could be in him. That's, that's my understanding of what that means. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. I don't know if you've read these verses and got that. I didn't for a long time. I was brought up in a Christian home. <clears throat> I knew the book and I could win Bible competitions. But I didn't realize that what Jesus saying was actually true and powerful. That he wanted to come and live on the inside of me by his spirit. Well, go on. Carry on in chapter 14. On that day, when this happens, you will know, you will know, you will experience that I am in my Father. They already knew that up here. And you are in me. They didn't know that. And I in you. They didn't know that then. If anybody loves me, they will keep my word. There's the, there's the, there's the criterion. Ian, there's the criterion. Friend, my father will love them and we will come to them. This is not heaven. This is now. We will come to them and we will make our dwelling with them. And then he prays again in that amazing prayer. All my talks end up in John chapter 17. So if, if they don't, it's probably not me speaking. I am not asking on behalf of these disciples only, says Jesus. Father, I'm thinking of Pitlochry, Father. But also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they may also be in us. God back on the inside, in a way that actually even Adam didn't know, because Adam was innocent. Whereas we have tasted the other. We've known fear. We've known independence. And God has come to rescue us from it and draw us back in to give us an indwelling life of power that is never afraid.
go on to read about the promise. Come on, baby. Don't want to. So Jesus enlarges on this. He says, Luke, Luke 24, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you're clothed from, with power from on high. He said, you, you can't live without this. Believe me, boys. You're going to have to wait until he comes. I'm going to send him. My Father's going to send him in your name. We are going to come to you and make our dwelling place with you. Wait, boys. Wait, girls. Find somewhere to wait. Acts chapter 1 refers to the same. When he, before he went to heaven, Jesus gathered them together and commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise from the Father. Without this, nothing's going to happen. Without them coming on the inside, nothing is going to happen. And when it happened, Acts 2.33, Peter explained it to the people who were listening. I don't know how many got it. At least 3,000 did. That was pretty good. Since he has been exalted at the right hand of God and has received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he has poured out this which you both see and hear. And he goes on, for the promise is for you and for you and for you and for you and your children and your grandchildren and for all who are far away as many as the Lord our God will call to himself does this have I gone off track do you think do you think this is not about don't fear I tell you it certainly is this is a new living powerful expression living alongside my clean spirit God on the inside and by his power as I obey him as I trust him he can take fear out of my life self-consciousness self-awareness as I become God conscious God aware it's the only thing that's worked in my life. Otherwise, I'm a failed optimist. All optimists become failed optimists, even if it's on their deathbed. But this is God on the inside, making his reality known in my small human life and taking away fear and bringing in faith and love. And so you get, when am I supposed to finish, Dave? 20 to 12. I've got five minutes. Is that all right? <clears throat> you get somebody like Paul. And Paul is a seriously failed optimist. Yeah? He's been, he's been the Jew's hatchet man. He's done it his way. Um, and he has hit the buffers. And he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And this is his conclusion. And it took a long time for him to start writing letters. I'm guessing there's 20 years between that point and now. He had 14 years stuck in Arabia. He writes to the Romans, If the Spirit of God, 
who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, my friends in Rome. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your little mortal bodies. I know that he's talking about the final resurrection, but he's talking now. That's Paul's experience. That little me, little Ian, little Paul, I can have life in this small person through his spirit who dwells in you. This is Romans 8. Oh, how wonderful. It's not theory. This is Paul's experience. Verse, what, what, what powerful things will the Spirit say to me? Well, the first thing he'll say to me is, Ian, you're a child of God. The Spirit affirms with our spirit, with my new clean spirit, which I received when I was born again. He affirms with our spirit that we are children of God. Um, when, when I was 22, I had to grasp hold of that 21, with a firm, 20, with a firm hand and say, Lord, I am your child. It's all over. You love me. Everything's okay. I trust you. I'm yours. And the Holy Spirit agreed with my spirit beyond my thoughts, beyond my worries, beyond my anxiety, beyond my self-awareness that this is the truth. Oh, Lord, thank you. Verse 26, and in the same way, the Spirit helps our weakness. Yeah, we get it. Anybody feel strong? No, it's nothing to do with feeling strong. It is to do with knowing that in Him I can do all things, says Paul, because He is strengthening me. We need to talk about the Holy Spirit in our lives because the Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus and the Father in us, making their home there. It's nothing more complicated than that. He is nothing more complicated than that. I need to consciously turn my heart to that reality on a daily, minutely, secondly basis. Um, I say that to myself. I can get swamped by COVID and tiredness and busyness and impossibilities and too many birthdays and, oh Lord, you are my life, you are my strength, you are in me. I will not fear, I will not allow my heart to be troubled. Last Sunday, whoops, something happened there. What happened there? There we are. <clears throat> Last Sunday I was reading, so look at that, look at me. Last Sunday I was reading in Haggai, as one does, you know. Uh, I just ended up there. Uh, because I'd been reading in Zechariah, the other Zechariah, and it was talking about this guy called um, which just means out of Babylon. That's his name. So you would call Dave Zerapitlokri, okay? 
or you'd call me Zerabafeldi. So that, that's, that's him. But it's not a great title, is it? Babylon in the Bible stands for anti-God, world, darkness, wickedness. And the leader, this is a prophecy to the church, as I understand it, the lead person is a picture, is a picture of all of us. Zero from Babylon, I've called him. It's little people. Nothing to trade with. No power, naturally. Nothing. But he's working, his co-worker, what's his co-worker called? His co-worker is called Yeshua, which is Joshua, or Jesus in Greek. Okay? Sorry, Jesus is Greek, Yeshua is Hebrew. So here we are, we have little Zero from Babylon, and we have his co-worker who is Jesus. This is the way I tick. I am a bit of a Bible picture person. Okay, do you, can you get that? Don't worry if you can't process it. It's, he says, take courage, Zero from Babylon. Take courage, Ian from Aberfeldy. Take courage, Dave from Pitlockery, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, because it is, a, it is a physical prophecy to the people of that day as well. And all of you people of the land, take courage. It's the opposite of fear, isn't it? Take courage. And work. Hmm. For I am with you, and declares the Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts. And as for the promise, oh, there's that key word again. Remember, this is Bible prophecy. The promise which I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit dwells in your midst. Do not fear. Lord, I'm taking it. When you brought me out of Egypt, when you brought me out of distance, when you brought me out of separation, Take courage, and my spirit is living in your midst. Take courage, zero, nothing person. It's the opposite of hero, isn't it? The world does Herod. Okay, we don't need to do Herod. We, we're quite comfortable with zero. But my spirit dwelling in you. Do not fear. I believe this is the answer to fear. It's the answer to anxiety, even if it's plagued you all your life. Lord, I don't put my confidence in myself. I've run out of that a long time ago. But I do put my confidence in you, in who you are, in your mighty power in my life, in your resident spirit, in Jesus and the Father making their home in me. I put all my confidence there. I trust you. I believe in you. I don't know if John the ba John's dad, Zacharias, is listening. I don't know how much heaven is allowed to listen. Funnily enough, we, we were driving past um, Grantley um, Cemetery this morning, and Jill said, I wonder if dad knows what happened. I wonder if he knows if we lived here. I wonder if he knows that Richard bought a Johnnick. I don't know. I just don't know. We'll find out. This is the answer. And if you haven't run out of steam already, I promise you will. But God will always hold his answer to you 
It's God on the inside, redeeming the loss, the separation. My spirit is living in you. Do not fear. I thought of a Graham Kendrick song. Um, we've put it on the audio. We could listen to it once and then we'll sing along the second verse, okay? God bless you, everybody. Yeah. May you find this reality more and more. Amen.